0: podcast uh sorry about missing the episode last week we had some technical problems and now we're back on track so it's uh good to be back in the saddle how's it
1: going Jeff? good man um it's been going uh had a bit of a tough week as we were talking about before earlier i was uh was pretty sick uh not with covid but still nonetheless still there there are still things out there that can get you sick that uh, that aren't covid this was a, a good reminder of that yeah,
0: man. It's like I got sick a little while ago when I, when um we had our adventure down in Atlantic City. And, uh, you know, it's just a, you can still get colds. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to
1: get intubated or uh, end up in the hospital or something like that. Right. Exactly. And I'm fully vaccinated. And uh, I know it was a huge relief to when I got that test back and it was negative. It was like, well, I feel like shit, but I can ride this out and just, you know, lay in bed and and not really not really worry too much about it, you know
0: before we get going i just want to uh, i want to make a dedication this d- episode is dedicated to the late hollis murphy um anyone who has done any kind of traveling uh into new orleans or mm. is involved in the extreme music scene uh definitely knows hollis and i know i'm coming a little bit late on this but uh but yeah i just wanted to uh dedicate this episode to him and if uh anyone out there wants to support his family um you can head on over to uh to their gofundme and um and they're putting together some you know some help for the family
1: right on man yeah and i from what i understand he was a, a fairly young guy too so that's really sad to hear and
0: another thing we want, i want to do is i just want to also give some shout outs to some of our uh our brethren out there shout out to brandon legion's horror wolf podcast uh he's um You know, been a supporter of we mutually support each other. Shall I I say? Mm. And also uh, the Break the Apocalypse podcast. They've been uh, doing you know doing a lot of good work. Uh, If you're a pro wrestling fan, go check them out. Um, They've been uh, also hyping us up, and we really appreciate that. Nice, Mike. Are you a pro wrestling fan? I didn't know this about you. I am not a pro wrestling fan. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I I never. I, I actually like wrestled wrestled. So I don't uh, to me
1: that's just uh, okay. like
0: ridiculous, honestly. But whatever. You... If you're into it, good for you.
1: There was that really good movie about wrestling that came out about three or four years ago, uh fuck Foxcatcher.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. That's uh that, that's a legendary um yeah, that that I saw that and there was I think there was a documentary about
1: that too. Yeah, I think that, you know, I know, I watched the movie, I was like, I know someone dies, I don't know who, and I know this really happened. So it was a really tense movie-going experience for me, like, not knowing exactly how how it was going to play out.
0: Yeah, did you, um, did, so what did you think of it?
1: Did you enjoy it? Uh, it was one of the best movies of the of that year. I think that was, uh, gosh, what was that? It was 2015, 16, 17, somewhere in that era. I thought it was great. Great cast, great acting. Yeah, it's about uh, you
0: know, the uh the Schultz brothers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that Steve Carell character is just this eccentric rich weirdo who's just really into wrestling and you know, he's got mom issues. <laughs> it was a unexpectedly great movie. I really like that one. And uh yeah, speaking of movies, uh like I mentioned I was sick, so I watched a lot of stuff since we last talked. I don't know if you've gotten in anything, uh, Mike.
0: I have. A couple things. Uh, So what did you watch since uh, you brought this up? What did you check out?
1: Well, you know, I've been shitting on HBO Max and all the movies that have gone to theaters and HBO Max at the same time about how fucking just absolute dog shit they've all been. I finally saw a good one, man. And uh, it's the Suicide Squad. Uh, Not quite a sequel or remake to Suicide Squad, but more of like, uh, let's just pretend that movie never happened. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, like David Ayer, a filmmaker I really like, who I think is perfectly suited to do a movie about sort of antiheroes. And, you know, David Ayer, he wrote, uh, Training Day. He directed, uh, Harsh Times with yeah. Christian Bale and, and Street Kings with, uh, Keanu Reeves. Those two movies I think are vastly underrated, um, he seemed to be perfectly suited to the material, so the movie that came out was just completely dumbfounding. Just so awful on every level, and uh, I-, I was just confused as to how David Ayer can make a movie this misguided. Uh, obviously, it was a lot of studio interference involved in that, and then comes along James Gunn, a filmmaker. I'm not, you know, I'm not really a fan of James Gunn. I don't really hate him, but just everything he's done is just sort of like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, he comes along and really kind of nails it, man. This movie was like a ton of fun. Uh, I had a lot of like, you know, deep dives as far as characters from the, the rogue gallery of DC goes, you know, Polka Dot Man is one of the main characters and, um, I, don't know, I had a lot of fun with it. It was a little bit too long, drags a little bit in the middle, but like, you know, for a DC movie, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. They, uh, they, 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 they got one right.
0: Yeah, they, they have a pretty bad track record, DC, the DC universe. Um, I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I like the comic books, you know, the uh, Suicide uh, Squad comic from back in the day. Sure. Uh, the first film was no good, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, terrible. But I,
0: I plan on watching the second one, or this new yeah, one, I- rather. It's not really a second movie. It's a new one, I
1: guess. See. There are some few remaining characters from, from the last one. You got Margot Robbie. It seems like they took what kind of worked in the last one. We're like, okay, everyone like Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. We'll keep her around. And and Rick Flagg is back. And, uh, it had, you know, it just has, like, a, a much more fun comic booky, silly tone. Um, and, uh, you know, David Ayers, like, you know, maybe he wanted to make a grittier, more like uh, – uh, dirty dozen kind of film that's that's obviously not exactly what 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 panned out, but I think either version could work, but like this more comic booky slapsticky version uh, uh, really really worked. it was a lot of fun and just you know lying on the couch sick it took 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 away like two hours of that, you know, like not thinking about all that it was really uh, uh, I recommend it and you know, it's just weird that DC is like their whole thing is just constant course course correcting, uh, co- correcting to the point where that, that continuity is going to end up like the X Men movies, where it just doesn't make any sense. I I don't, I don't <laughs> see any continuity at all. Yeah, it's a mess. I mean, we got I already got a Batman reboot, and Batman is an old Ben Affleck Batman is appearing in the new Flash movie, so it's going to be, you know, unless you read about this stuff, you're going to be wonder what the fuck's going on.
0: Yeah, I, I still hold to the Nolan Batman as uh, the standard.
1: I agree. I think Ben Affleck was a great Batman. He just never got his chance to be in a great Batman movie. You know, unfortunately, as much as I like Zack Snyder's new Justice League, it's not a Batman movie. You no. know, it's a it's a team movie. Um, what else? Did I, um, not really. You know, genre related. I watched the documentary Val about the actor Val Kilmer.
0: Everyone's been telling me about that.
1: It's fantastic. Um, it was just cool to go back and you know see his career as a young man and like you know him ups and downs. And they uh, definitely talk about the island of Doctor Moreau quite a bit. And you know I, I wasn't aware of how bad Val Kilmer's condition was. He kind of he has like a voice box or something now. Like he can't really talk without the acid, he has to press on something. And he's like, uh-huh. you know, yeah, it's like <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of them, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool, man. You know, and, and 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 from that, I went back and watched Thunderheart. I remember how much I loved that movie as a kid, and was was curious if it's if it's aged well because you know, it was about this white guy who's like a quarter Indian who goes to a you know reservation and you know basically saves the day. Um, you know that wouldn't play too well today, but. I think the movie still works. It's it's great. It's 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 very atmospheric, and uh, I guess somewhat based on a true story, which I was unaware of.
0: You're one of the few people that I, I'm surprised. Like I I don't know anyone else who knows that movie. I really like that movie.
1: Oh, I love it, man. I remember the first time I saw it. It was uh, it was on Cape Cod on like the shitty TV that was uh black and white. So the first time I saw it was black and white. Damn. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think every movie should have the option to come in a black and white version. I really do. Uh, that work works so well in black and white. But um, it's one of his better movies because a great performance. Sam Shepard's in it, who's always great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a fantastic movie, man. It holds up uh, really, really well. Uh, same thing. I'm trying to move along. I saw a Brian De Palma documentary. I know you. I know you're a fan.
0: Yeah, no, I like Brian De Palma quite a bit
1: actually. Did, did you see the documentary? I haven't. No. It's, you know, same thing, just kind of goes through his career, and it was really, I've been interested in him a lot lately, because I listened to a podcast called The Devil's Candy, um, which was based on the book all about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities, which by all accounts is one of the biggest disasters in Hollywood at the time. Um, I was quite familiar with the book, never saw the movie, uh, finally watched it, because I watched the Palma documentary, the, the, the movie's such a piece of shit. Uh, so bad. Um, but it made me go back and watch some other like great De Palma films, Untouchables, uh, Total Classic, The First Mission Impossible. It's, it's crazy to see how far that series has come since 1986. I mean, I lived in Connecticut in 1986. <laughs> I was like a teenager, and then those movies are still being made. That blows my mind. And De Palma started it all, you know, sort of like, it seems like he might have been a little bit of a gamble in 1996. Um, and I do think that was his last commercially successful movie, but man, just, he's made so many great films. It's like 70 stuff. Uh, all of this, So good, man. Such a talented director.
0: Yeah. I, I, I want to see all that stuff, man. That all sounds really cool.
1: Yeah. it's all we're checking out, man. Like if you're a De Palma fan, I, I highly recommend it. Or even if you're just a, a fan of films and like it's it's, it's a great documentary and, uh You know, of of time, you know, because he came up with all those guys—Spielberg, you know, uh, Coppola, Scorsese—and you know, not many of them are making great stuff anymore. You know, that the they 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 were the guys in the seventies. They were the guys, and I think the only one you can still bank on was uh, is probably Spielberg and and um, Scorsese.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah i watched a lot of stuff what about you man
0: as far as uh like feature length films go um the most notable thing i checked out was uh the deeper you dig i saw that on uh the arrow app
1: oh right yeah 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 we're gonna talk about this one right
0: yeah yeah it's it was it was uh it was one of those nights where i was just like i couldn't find anything to watch and i'm like you know i i got the arrow app and there's a bunch of really cool stuff on there and the the reason why i wanted to watch this movie is i saw that there was like a lot of extras associated with it so i watched the movie and i was I was kind of blown away by how good it was cool yeah it's like a you know a, a ghost story um you know it deals into like all this like sort of esoteric stuff too which i i really enjoyed and really there's only three characters in it and um uh to notable about that is the three characters are a husband, wife, daughter, family unit. Interesting. Yeah. And they've, they've made a few films, apparently. And I, I'm uh, probably going to check those out as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to cover that one. Because sometimes you come to me with recommendations of movies I've never heard of. And sometimes I love it. And sometimes I'm like, wow, what the fuck am I watching?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs>
1: um, so I'm looking forward to that one. That's yeah. going to be fun. Really good. And uh, awesome.
0: I, I checked out uh, the brand new cherry flavor on Netflix.
1: Oh, we're gonna start watching that tonight.
0: Uh, my my buddy uh, Brandon Legion of the Horror Wolf podcast, he actually recommended that, and uh, cause I I it popped up, and I was like, I don't know, man, that title, what the hell, you know, what, I didn't seem like I didn't even know what it was, and he said, no, check it out, and I I really, I really enjoyed it, man. It was like um. The first, it took me a couple episodes to really get into the rhythm of it, Mm. but you know, there's there's kind of a weird fiction angle to it because there's you know like shifting into different realms and there's like witchcraft involved and uh, it takes place in L.A. Um, So there's like a subtle like lost highway thing going on in the movie. Mm, uh it takes yeah. place in the 90s you know so that's another kind of lost highway esque vibe to it the, the uh the film like the music is really cool and, oh, nice. um, yeah I, I enjoyed it it also had this kind of tongue-in-cheek like humor you know very ironic humor and i i really enjoyed that
1: yeah the little clip i saw that's kind of the vibe i got from it it wasn't like it was like oh like you know visually it looks kind of cool but i didn't think it would be anything uh to to check out, but like, I've just been hearing so many good things about it that, like, uh, finally gonna break down tonight, maybe watch a few episodes.
0: Definitely do it, man. And, and, uh, the, the main actress, uh, Rosa Salazar is, uh, super hot, so that's another, <laughs> always
1: yeah. a plus. I mean, you uh, know, this... I'm, I'm
0: just like a toxic male, and that's all I really look out for.
1: Toxic, toxic, cis white male. I know, Mike. I keep telling you that every time. Like, text <laughs> you me. keep
0: reminding me
1: that all the time that <laughs> I'm a toxic, cis white male. I do, man. It's just you know, it's just me being a good guy, and yeah. I want everyone to know what a good guy I am.
0: Aside uh, from that, also, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Sorry.
1: No, I was gonna say this. I got that confused. There's some new show on uh, uh, Shudder that David Cronenberg stars in.
0: Oh shit! Really?
1: He, not directing, but just acting, and huh. I, I kind of got those two. I can't I think it's called like Flesh and Bone or Flesh and Blood or something like that. Hmm. Um, I'm just curious if you check that out. It sounds like you haven't. It
0: sounds like I should though.
1: Yeah. I mean, David Cronenberg is an actor. I'll watch. I mean, he's one of the, the greatest directors. I, I worship the guy. I'll, I'll watch any piece. Like, I went to the theater to see Jason X because he was in it. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? That That's how big of a fan I am. So uh, I'm sure at some point that's going to come up on this podcast.
0: Did you, uh, you check out uh, that Woodstock 99 documentary?
1: Oh yeah, did, did we not talk about that?
0: I don't know if we talked about it, but I know I think me and Mike talked about it. That was a trip,
1: man. It was a trip, man. Like, I completely forgot if there was a Woodstock '94 because I was like, oh, I can't believe they're not showing the uh, Mud Fight with uh, Green Day. Yeah, so, like I was like, oh yeah, that was early '90s. I was like, what? There was fucking um, three Woodstocks. I, I completely <laughs> forgot. About yeah. Woodstock '94, and again, yeah. in, in, in Woodstock '94, you had a playful mud fight, and in Woodstock '99, you have a fucking you know meathead riot. <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: it, I didn't realize there was two. I only thought there was one, and I didn't know that the '99 one happens with the one with like uh, Kid Rock and you know Limp Bizkit and all that.
1: I definitely remember that one. I don't As, remember uh, that one at all. Well, because I think we t- I could have sworn we talked about this. Who the fuck knows? We probably talked about it off. Like how um, like that era I was like okay so heavy music is getting huge like while the heavy metal, uh, the heavy music that's getting huge is dog shit this will usher in good bands to get like more recognition and unfortunately for the most part that really didn't happen uh, you know you had the Deftones who were kind of like not really they I mean kind of part of that scene but they need not really uh, they're they got definitely pretty popular. outliers for sure they were outliers on that scene. Yeah, for sure. I kind of always thought they had more in common with, like, the post-metal stuff that was going on, you know, like, stuff yeah. that, you know, what, what we were doing, what Isis was doing. Um, a lot of respect for that band. Uh, but, you know, Kandiria kind of got their shot at, like, the main thing. You know, MTV did a feature on that. And, you know, you're thinking, like, you know, the Don't Drip Skate kind of got out there and got a little bit more popular. But no one from the underground really broke from from that whole new metal success so there's just that and then the second wave of shitty new metal like you know mud vein and uh mushroom head and chicken fart or whatever the fuck <laughs> oh you don't like that stuff <laughs> <laughs> i know man no oh, just one thing yeah yeah and i'm not into it <laughs> well one of the one of the
0: things that like i watched it twice because a friend of mine was oh, like oh okay well, like uh check because I, I think i might want to do like an everything went black about it because uh Oh interesting yeah the first time I saw the the documentary, I was like, "Oh man, look at all these that are on there, you know, like like fucking kid rock, you know limp Bizkit. yeah um it's absurd like i I don't I actually give a little bit of respect to corn like i don't i'm not I wouldn't say that I'm a fan, but I see what they're doing, and it's like there's some merit to what they do um but." Shh. The people that, sure the people <laughs> yeah. i mean honestly i'm not you know i'm not like a fan but
1: no i know what you're saying but they're like, like doing you know.
0: something though and i get why people like them you know what i mean
1: right same thing with like slipknot to me yeah i was like well, oh dude, i get it i
0: i think slipknot's a pretty sick band actually i i don't own any of their records but they're actually pretty good man as far as like that doing that thing like i'm not look you know just you know honestly I don't really fuck with them, you know what I mean. But yeah, but I do in a way too. Like I'm like, oh, you know, if they're playing them at a PA or somewhere or at a fucking show, then I'll be like, oh,
1: whatever, you
0: know, it's all right. Right.
1: I just think it's funny that there's like 12 people in that band, even though they sell millions of records, each so probably makes like 20 grand a year. <laughs> cause there's so many people to pay. <laughs> yeah. The
0: filmmakers <laughs> that made the documentary, though, the second time that I watched it. There was like a weird agenda going on. I felt like in that documentary. Interesting. Yeah, there was definitely some woke shit going on, where it's like, you know, I don't understand why you know white men are so angry and all this stuff. And I was like, holy shit! Like, uh, let's let's let really just realistically look at what's going on. You you picked whoever promote was a promoter literally picked the lowest common denominator music. Right. Right. So the lowest common denominator. People showed up right
1: right yeah 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 like you're not you're not
0: because like Ozfest happened around the same time and there wasn't near there wasn't any rapes
1: or destruction or anything like that right exactly and yeah you know there's there that whole clip anytime Moby is talking uh, yeah. to a camera I'm annoyed he's like we got here and immediately felt that something was wrong with this festival And, you know, like, fucking Moby, shut the fuck up. No, you didn't. You were sleeping or doing yoga on the back of your bus. You didn't notice a goddamn thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's this revisionist history thing. Like, oh, I knew it was fucked up. Well, you you still went there and played and got paid. Right. It it was
0: fucked up, but I don't think it's... I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't think metal is why it was fucked up. I think it was fucked up because you got this weird, ignorant style of music that attracts these fucking barbarians that that like sexually assault women and burn shit down
1: you know I also gotta say that one guy made that comment that like was just an ad. like, oh you got women running and running around naked uh that probably had something to do with it uh probably not the right thing to say right now definitely
0: not you know but like yeah yeah you know and and because I I was thinking about how yeah Ozfest was was a thing that was like it kicked off like a few years before that and You know, that was like Slayer, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, you know, like, and you didn't, I mean, maybe next year, the, uh, the documentary about that'll come out and how everyone was sexually assaulted and they burned shit down too. But I think that there wasn't really problems like that at Ozfest.
1: Yeah. As far as I know, I never been to one. I never played one, but I never heard of anything like that. And, uh, You know, even at the first Woodstock where like, you know, girls were like completely naked, you know, running around, you know, there weren't like violent rapes and fires and things like that. It's like, yeah, it's like you said, you, you invite fucking knucklehead bands, knucklehead fans are going to show up and they're going to act like fucking idiots. And that's what happened.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, but I, I I reject the whole thing where like, they're trying to portray the early nineties was this like liberal minded, you know, Oh look, we have Kurt Cobain you know, and and Nirvana and all this, and because in the late '90s, you—I mean, there was—I thought heavy music was maybe not so much on the level of playing like Woodstock, but you know, you had Neurosis who were continuing getting big with their career. You know, they were like a very forward-thinking, creative band that didn't, uh, you know, sexually assault anybody that I know of. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I no, was surprised they did. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there was a, there was a lot of intelligent, cool, heavy stuff going on beneath the surface, you know for sure. You know, neurosis, early today is the day, just goodbye. A lot of good stuff happened in the late '90s that inspired, you know, myself and and you, you know, like to go on and do, do what what we did. I'm definitely we more of a Kid field. Rock fan, though. I, I, for me <laughs> personally, <laughs> that's more my shit. I can, really. I can see you coming on stage with like a fucking mink coat. And sunglasses You can see that right You can see it. I can see it happening man Yeah And like no shirt on Oh yeah Totally Yeah Yeah, yeah. You, you got that vibe
0: Well, yeah <laughs> Alright <all> right, fuck, <laughs> fuck Fuck <laughs> Woodstock 99 Let's start talking about some movies
1: <laughs> Yeah Well like you know This is another movie That like um, Came on well, But this came out in 2013 For 2014 That I, I don't think uh, Could get made today Or at least not get the Uh kind of response uh, that it got that well maybe um do you okay so the movie we're talking about today is uh 2013's proxy directed by zach parker uh do you remember this movie when it came out mike not
0: at all man that's why i had to think about what you were referring to when you said this movie proxy
1: yeah see i maybe i was reading a lot of blogs and stuff around that time and Remember, this movie kept coming up as being like getting a very mixed response from people who just absolutely thought it was brilliant and just people who thought it was exploitive trash. And uh, you know, I saw it back in I think probably like two thousand and fourteen. I enjoyed it. It was good to see it um, you know, some six, seven years later. Uh, with fresh eyes, not remembering too much, and is almost kind of like seeing it all over again for the first time. I'm um, curious where your initial thoughts about this were. What, what, you want to know that right now? What my initial thoughts are? Yeah, well, okay, you want to go through the cast first?
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: All right, let's, yeah. do Let, that. let's
0: save, let's reserve our, our judgments till the end, actually. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, so it. we have uh, Alexia Rasmussen as Esther Woodhouse. And you also uh you know the I know that the filmmakers uh are trying to frame this movie up as a spiritual successor to Rosemary's Baby. So Oh yeah. anyone out there um who's a fan of that fine movie uh will remember Rosemary Woodhouse. So there's a little synchronicity there
1: with their uh their their last names. Yeah, good catch. That took me uh the second time through to notice that. Yeah. Uh, We
0: got Joe Swanberg as Patrick Michaels. Alexa Havins as Melanie Michaels. Christina Klebe as Annika Barron. Erica Hovland as Mary Wilkins. This is a great name. Faust Checo as Detective Allen. That's a sick name, (laughs) Faust. Yeah, that
1: is a good name. Uh, Yeah, relatively small cast. Really just focusing... On uh, on four people, four relative, well, three relatively unknown people, and Joe Swanberg, who is a well-known filmmaker, writer, director, actor in, in, in his own right. I for the longest time thought this was one of his movies. Uh, it it kind of does take you know have a little bit of that mumblecore feel to it that that, that and that's sort of the world that that Joe Swanberg uh, works in.
0: Yeah, I could see that. It had like a little bit of that like an early. Proto mumblecore thing going on where it has this kind of, um, you know, very realistic, uh, you know, dialogue and that kind of thing
1: Yeah, and like right away, like you mentioned rosemary's baby, I think Not only is that movie I think polanski and that era of like, you know, early polanski 60s black and white I I feel it's huge influence on this movie the way people interact, uh, there's a lot of long takes, scenes that go on for a long time. You have this sort of orchestral score that you, is sort of going away. Most of these movies are done by like one guy with a synth, and this sort of has this you know, orchestral score. It reminded me a lot of like a, a Hitchcock movie, uh, the way it, it switches perspective unexpectedly about, about halfway through the movie. So... If I had to guess, I would say the director Zach Parker was heavily influenced by the 60s, Polanski, you know, De De Palma. I could see this movie coming out, you know, on the Criterion collection if this came out in like 1965 and it's black and white. You know, it has that kind of feel to it.
0: Yeah, I don't. The only reason why I would even think about Rosemary's Baby is because uh, in, in some of the press, they said that they're influenced by, or this is like some kind of like connection to it. But I don't, I don't see it as like the
1: content
0: of the film, the narrative of the story to me doesn't, I wouldn't
1: think that initially. Really? But not like maybe the, the style in which it was made?
0: <laughs> I got to be honest, man. I think the style of the film has more in in, um, in common with like a lifetime movie than than uh, Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> really, I, I am dead serious, man. I I guess looking the cat's out of the bag. I really didn't like this movie.
1: Wow, that's interesting, man. Uh, I uh, I really liked this movie. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, there is, I can see somewhat what you're talking about with the lifetime thing. There is. <laughs> Some scenes in here that are absolutely absurd uh, and that kind of, like, take you out of the movie. But, like, all right, let's start at the beginning. I mean, you know, like, um, where did this movie start to go wrong for you then? Like, what, what was it where you're like, eh, no? Well, just some of
0: the, um, the interactions with the, with the characters. I mean, let, let's just give, like, a, a premise first. Is that... Sure. Um, Esther is pregnant, Okay. Mm-hmm. No father, <laughs> like it's uh. Well, she
1: she says that uh, it was a, a sperm bank or something. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, in the beginning of the film, before you realize like how crazy things are in this movie, you kind of take that as well. That's the truth, you know. It was a sperm bank, you know, random unknown father. Um, she's like a very much like some sort of emotionally damaged like lo- loner woman. You know, Mm. and then like right quick, she's out on the street. She gets jumped by this, some hoodlum with like a hoodie on and he brutally, and I was like, wow, these guys aren't really wasting any time with the brutality, like viciously beats her and, um, in a, a very mean spirited fashion starts smashing her stomach, man. And obviously, you know, then she's in the hospital and then there's a graphic uh, shot of them literally removing the baby from her womb
1: yeah, I think a lot of people it's, it's the detractors of this movie had a lot of like problems with like the very first like few five minutes of that like that scene in particular
0: well let me let me let me speak about that because part of me is like if, if you're gonna like look if you're gonna step into the darkness like, into the shadows and, like, get into films like this? How the fuck can you criticize a movie for going to the places that someone who watches films like this are are expecting it to go
1: to? You know what I mean? Right, yeah, and I'll give this movie credit. Like, it it, it throws this, like, this is the kind of movie you're watching. It tells you that right away. Like, even the opening scene where she's – visiting her ob and and like you can just tell something is off you can tell that she's not excited about being pregnant at all and you think like and, and then things just get so much worse from there like you said the beating it it is hard to watch uh i ha- i have some friends that have had children and they say like they have lost their taste for horror movies since they've had children and i gotta I think like this is one of the movies they're talking about <laughs> you know yeah, I totally mean?
0: yeah yeah i mean. Honestly, I I got to be honest, like I don't have kids or anything, but like any, any kind of, um, a lot, you know, there's a whole array of films that deal with parenthood and childbirth and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, I, I find that very difficult, like whenever you're dealing with like that aspect of human life, sure. like that, that to me is really uncomfortable stuff. And that's, and I guess that's, that's the, the thing for this film is I give it credit for, for not you know, not avoiding that discomfort in this film. They embrace it,
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I liked about it. And then, you know, you like, one of the things, like, the next scene is, like, there's a very long scene of her talking to a police officer that seems to go on forever. And then right after, there's another scene of her talking to a social worker that seems to go on forever. And while I appreciate the sort of tone they're going for, like, the 1960s, sort of vibe like i really feel like it is a little self-indulgent and these scenes went on way too long
0: yeah yeah the procedural stuff didn't really didn't really grab me either
1: yeah it's not that interesting and you can tell the movie is not very interested in the procedural a- uh, aspects of uh of this case because there's so many glaringly obvious like it's almost like did the cops investigate anything? There's so many things I was thinking like, well, this would happen, this would happen, this one, and none of it does. It's almost like, yeah, you got beaten. It seems like it was personal, but you know, as soon as you are out of the hospital, no one cares, but like that's not how police <laughs> work works.
0: I don't know, i mean I, I mean it it was it seems like it was a completely random attack, you know, and I guess. When I when I was but, watching the movie, I was right. like, I was like, huh? I mean, this is this was such a brutal beating. Like, you don't beat someone like that unless you have something against them, really. You know, it's you know, right. I, I figured that would 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 sort of come back at some point in the film.
1: Well, it it sort of does in, in a way, but like not 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 in the, the police investigation sort of way. The cop does mention that, like, saying that like this feels personal. Yeah. And then we kind of see, like the main character, how she's like living this, like you said, this like sort of like lonely life, and um, you know, and she starts to uh, to visit these uh, these grief counselors, where she meets uh, Melanie, and Melanie is sort of like her mentor through all this, and you know, Melanie has this like crazy story about her her son Peyton who was kidnapped and everything, and then we learn. Melanie is not who we really think she is. Melanie is completely fucking insane.
0: Actually, yeah. I mean, you you have this feeling that that, um, Esther is the one who's damaged. But, I mean, as we see in this film, the way it plays out, Melanie has some, like, serious, serious damage, man. And, like, is, is, you know, definitely I, I would consider her to be the antagonist
1: of the film. Oh, well, that's another thing. Like, this movie is hard to watch because who are you supposed to root for? Everyone in this movie is terrible. I mean, the father is sort of sympathetic. Well, I mean, we'll get into that. But, like, he turns out to be like, kind of crazy too.
0: I guess that's the th- one of the things I did like about this movie, how aside aside from uh, from Melanie, well, let's put it this way. No one, like you said, no one's good. But there's, there are aspects of them, aside from Melanie, that there's like overtones of some of these characters that, that, are, um, that you, you can relate to a little bit, I guess.
1: Yeah. But well, ultimately, okay. they
0: make the wrong choices.
1: Absolutely. And when you find out Melanie, like, what I enjoyed watching, the movie takes a lot of twists and turns. And I had seen it before, but it had been a while, so I, wasn't, I couldn't quite remember where it went i watched it with my girlfriend who'd never seen it before and she was just trying to piece it all together like what kind of movie this was going to be and uh, when you see that melanie really is like the main attack like um you have esther she's uh she's going to fill out an application with Mul, she sees melanie there melanie causes this big scene about her her son missing and everything and you realize like it's just sort of a it's it's a performance it's and she drags her son out of the car to show, oh, we found him. And her son is just a prop in her sick, um, and game. And like, you realize that's, that's Melanie's sickness. Like this, like she needs the attention she gets from this. And you start to think, well, really like this really is a movie about just people who need, who need love and attention. And you have two versions of like, you have the woman, Melanie, who was a family, but it's completely unfulfilling for her and then you have um esther who, who seems to have nothing and she enjoyed the uh attention of being pregnant but without really wanting to have a child so you have two very different two sick people who are kind of on t- t- different spectrums of how sick they are
0: right and also uh you know we come to learn that uh... I would say Esther is not interested in men at all, really, as like sexual partners, because she has, uh, you know, this kind of abusive, quote unquote, girlfriend. Because they're, they're, they just fuck basically. I wouldn't say they even have like a relationship, and that's uh, the, you know, the, the Annika character.
1: Right. Yeah. We should also say that um, uh, she planned that this beating was planned. Um, we learned that uh that like she's seeing yeah this esther who's controlling abusive uh needy uh she had her do this to her um and right away like i'll say that like the the, the character of anika is a, a little much like it's 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 very like one like the face tattoo and the scowl and like it's very. I don't think it's entirely the performances' fault. I just think it's a poorly written character. Yeah,
0: she was my favorite character actually in the uh, in the in this movie. <laughs> yeah, because she kind of like just straight. She didn't have like all the, the intricacies of the other characters. Like there was like her motivations were very like straightforward. It's like revenge, you know, like jealousy um you know i don't know it was like to, to me she was like the least evil out of all the people in this movie i thought
1: oh that's it she said th- i thought she was so evil that that like it was comical like she could be like <laughs> you know again if this was a 60s movie she'd be like wow well, hey you've been fucking that other girl melanie you know like, like <laughs> it was it was almost that like silly like she just reins it in a little bit to make it sort of a uh, believable but see i think um I think Esther does have, like, not, like, a a sexual interest in men, but she needs, like... Because we get a scene after you see her having sex with her girlfriend where she's in a bar, and she just fucks, like, two random guys, and you realize, like, oh, this is how she got pregnant. It wasn't, uh, you know, a sperm bank. She probably... This is something she probably does and maybe has done before or is something she's thinking about doing again.
0: I think the thing with the... The thing with the men, it's almost like this degradation sort of trip with her. I mean, I think actually her, even her relationship with Annika is, is, uh, revolves around being degraded and, you know, abused and all this sort of stuff.
1: And controlled and right, you know, like, I'm your mama, I'm this, I'm that. And, um, the only hint as to why, like, that character is like that, I noticed that, um, that uh, Esther had, like you know, they pans over to like showing her room. There's a picture of a baby being hauled up by, by a woman who you assume is her, or is the mother, and you assume the baby is, is Esther, and that's her mother. And uh you know, that's the only like picture on her nightstand. And this very sparsely decorated, like a sad fucking apartment or house that she lives in. And um, I don't know. That was like that one little moment gave a little bit of insight to her character that at least like, you know, like motherhood or or something like this was important to her at, at, at some point. I don't know, like the love of a mother for her daughter. And, you know, why don't I feel this? I don't know. Maybe I'm looking into it too much.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, I think what the movie had to deal with is just um, conforming to these roles that people feel like they have to play in life. I mean, even Melanie too. It's like, yeah, you know, she's got a family, she's got kids, but she's deeply unsatisfied by that. You know, so as yeah. a result of that, what grows out of that is this, like,
1: psychosis. Yeah, I and mean, what's interesting is she doesn't choose to confront Melanie right away. They go to a park and they have this, like, you know, uh, Melanie gives a song and dance about her and her son used to come to this park and, and Esther's just sort sort of going along with it. I'm like why is this scene even happening? Like why is you know, you know cuz like the very next scene basically she Esther invites Melanie over and when Esther says you're like me, I know what you I know your son is alive. She she punches Esther in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know you realize how deep in denial Melanie is about her her own behavior and her own unhappiness. Like when she says you're the sick one, not me. Um, you know, like, um, I don't know. For me, like, the characters got more and more interesting as the movie went along because you weren't really sure where it's going.
0: You I definitely really admit- definitely wasn't sure where it was going, and the movie definitely has has some turns and twists to it that were were surprising to me.
1: Well, you know? then, yeah. Then you have this the big Hitchcock moment where your main character Esther is suddenly out of the like out of the movie, halfway through it. Yeah. Um, Esther says, you know, she's basically thinks she's going to help Melanie and kill her child, and uh, it's one of the more disturbing and I hate to say kind of funny scenes in the movie. Um, the husband running into the bathroom with a a shotgun that looks like more tactical than something that someone in the suburbs would have, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I I could see that. Yeah, I agree.
1: And it's very slow motion. Again, it's kind of like De Palma esque a little bit, not, not, not as technically fancy, but like, you know, the orchestral music swelling, the slow motion and just the way the blood sprays on him. And like this fountain of gore is a little bit preposterous. And he comes like running in with like this, Sawed-off shotgun. (laughs) Um, it's a little absurd, but at the same time, you know, I I kind of found it to be like a cool scene. I
0: kind of feel like he's completely justified by killing her. You know, honestly.
1: Oh no, I don't disagree with that. I just like the the fact that like he's running in there with this like fucking sawed-off pump-action shotgun, like, and not like you know like a pistol or like a rifle or something like a normal person would have to defend their house. You know, he's got this like tactical looking thing. I don't know. That just made me laugh. Like it would have been even funny if you like ran in with like camo and goggles and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, then you learn like Melanie, like, see right there. What would you do if you were like, would you, like, would you give up the facade or would you keep it up? Because it seemed that this is my one big problem with the movie. It would seem very easy to piece this whole thing together. If you were investigating.
0: Well yeah i mean the other thing we have to keep in mind too is that uh esther expressed some sexual feelings to to melanie earlier too that's true which um, i i also found interesting and i was just like like that that's why i was like yeah you know esther's not really into men like she's only she only seems to have these like brutal sexual relationships with definitely with men her thing with uh, Annika was like, okay, you know, definitely, uh, you know, out there on the fringes of sexuality for sure. Um, but, but
1: I don't think she's really into women either. I think her attraction to Melanie is purely because you're like a fucking strange psycho like me. Well, like we're going to understand each other. Well, oh, that's I what that-
0: I was going to ask. I go, why nah. do you think she was like, like attracted to her at all sexually?
1: Yeah, I think that's it. I think. That her, uh, you know, her, her psychotic need for attention, and the fact that she thinks Melanie doesn't want her kid, like that's what's attractive to her. Like she's obviously not attracted to those men she has sex with in the bathroom. And I would argue, I don't think she's really into Anika's. Like as far as like an attraction goes, I think it's a, a dominance thing or so, like a need, like a mommy role. You know, she calls herself mommy several times. I think that is what's uh attractive about her i don't think she's she's probably like completely asexual in a way yeah I, yeah that's that's a good point um yeah but uh fuck, where was i
0: well we were talking so, yeah. about the murder of uh right, of esther yeah. and, um, and you know how she got blown away by with the
1: the shotgun that uh that swanberg had yeah his tactical shotgun. And yeah. this is when, like, you know, Swanberg, you know, like, yeah, I'm not sure how to feel. I, I, I relate to, like, this guy in a way, like, you know, like, at this point, all he does is fantasize about, like, taking her out of the bathtub and not shooting her a second time, but taking her to the basement and torturing her. He wants to know everything about her and why she did this. And he's completely consumed. But the way Swanberg chooses to play, like, just, 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 like, This guy is not sympathetic. He just seems like a fucking creep and a lunatic almost like instantly.
0: Well, that's one of the other things, too, which is just like all the characters are super dark, man. Like, you know, I I would imagine a normal person in your house, if you walked in on a a situation like that and you gunned someone down in, in, in your house, you probably would be fantasizing about not killing them you know you, you would be like oh my god i wish i'd never pull you know like the the stress of pulling a trigger on somebody i think would override any of these like you know violent tendencies so the fact that he actually is fantasizing about torturing her <laughs> makes me think <laughs> that he's like a fucking psychopath man like he's another one just a nut job just like melanie
1: Right. What did you think of the way the movie chose to, like, visualize this? You don't see him sitting in a chair with flashes of him torturing someone. You see, like, shots at the basement door, and you hear screaming. And when he comes out of the basement door, he's covered in blood. But when he steps out outside, you know, no blood. He's, it, it, it was an interesting way to convey that. I think a more modern movie would, would show just what I said. He's, like, sitting in a chair. He's, like, just thinking about breaking her fucking kneecaps or whatever. You know what I mean? I I thought it was pretty clever way to to show like his descent into madness. Yeah. I give him that.
0: But also I just feel like he was already there. I mean, like I said, to have the ability to do that and not feel remorse is, is, uh, is kind of a, you know, psychopathic, you know, tendency in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And he's, he's becomes obsessed with the truck that's been parked out there. And, And again, this is sort of like my problem with the movie is like there's someone investigating this. But like no one know, like he's the only one to notice a truck parked out there for a week. And which brings us to one of the more ridiculous scenes where uh, Melanie goes back to visit uh, Esther's apartment. And it's trashed because I guess you figure like the cops were there looking for evidence. But right there, pristine on the refrigerator is Melanie's phone number yeah like don't you think that would that would be like something someone would notice oh yeah like in a police
0: investigation that would all that stuff i imagine would be taken down as evidence they'd probably call that number and see who the fuck it is and try to make connections that kind of thing that's you know i found that to be that that's that's why i was saying it it's like even in a lifetime movie (laughs) <laughs> that that would have been picked up, you know. They would have been like, "Oh, phone number." Like they would show the police investigating
1: it and having a conversation. She'd have to talk her way out of it somehow. Or well, right, yeah. There'd be crime scene tape around the house, but yeah. no, like the the phone number is right there. It's clearly visible. And in the old bedroom uh, where Esther used to sleep, Anika is in there furiously jerking off with a plastic <laughs> bag around her. <laughs> and. This is like one of those movies where I'm like, I love this, I love this, I love this. Oh, this is so fucking dumb. (laughs) Yeah, because
0: honestly, that that house probably wouldn't... I don't think anyone would be able to get into it. You know what I mean? The cops probably would have that sealed.
1: Right, exactly. Let alone like, hey, I used to date this girl. I'm involved in this somehow, so I'm just going to sneak in here and jerk off. (laughs) (laughs) It was... um, It actually made me laugh. Like, I was like, this is fucking absurd. Um, But again, you know, absurd. And like, sometimes when you go back and watch those old De Palma movies, like how just sort of like silly and weird and nonsensical they are. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. Like, I'm assuming these movies are like very influenced by that stuff. So, I mean, maybe that's the tone they're going for. At one point, I thought like Melanie might have been imagining what was happening. Like, it was that absurd.
0: I was hoping that it wasn't going to be that. Cause that whenever that happens, I feel like the movies are totally just a waste of time. If they're going to cop out like that.
1: Yeah. But like, you know, it's because every scene involving Nika is just so over the top. Like, like she, she wants to know everything about the people that killed her, her clearly crazy girlfriend, but like, she still is taking her side. You know, Nika goes to the, um, the newspaper to track down the person who wrote an article about um, about this murder. And there's like, okay, there's this woman screaming and ranting and raving like a lunatic. We had to throw it out, and yet nothing comes of it. You know, police come to visit her, and they don't even mention that. They mention her truck. Because as we learn, Esther stole Anika's truck. And uh, that's how... <laughs> Another, like, your, your truck is going to be, like, um, impounded, but for some reason that's how she finds Melanie in Patrick's house is her truck is still there, parked in front of the house, even though the cops know it was probably used in a murder, and yet it's still sitting there.
0: Yeah, that, that see, the, right around now, in that part of the movie, I started really being like, I, I just want this thing to be fucking over with, man, and, like... Well, it
1: it is a little, it is... Quite long. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It, it actually is long. It's like uh, what, what's the what's the runtime?
1: It's, it's like over two hours. Yeah, it's
0: over two hours long. Just you know, there's so much shit that could have been edited
1: out of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So she's like, just finds her truck as a cops the cops tell her where like they like, which really whenever your truck is found in this district, like they wouldn't fucking probably would not tell her that. But we've impounded it, but like that, she goes to that air part of town and immediately finds the house. Um, it's very absurd. <laughs> but before all okay, so, um, you know, uh, Patrick go, starts to go to therapy because he's acting so insane. He's punching holes in walls at his work <clears throat> and um, goes to a grief group and realizes his wife has been going there for a year. And yet, even when he talks to her, he doesn't really confront her about it they have this very weird stilted conversation where, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't say, I know what you've been up to. He doesn't say any of that. He just sort of rambles about how I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Uh, that's after he pulls out that crazy tactical shotgun he has on his wife. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I know it's supposed to be super serious, but like that scene like, was a little co- unintentionally comical. I thought, yeah. Um, so uh, what do we have? An- Anika figure, like, you know, super sleuth Anika figures out where she, where Melanie and, and Patrick live, and she's going to get revenge on her, on them killing this girl she apparently loved, although she shows little, oh, she doesn't yeah, seem I like wouldn't, a character that can really love anything. I wouldn't you know? <laughs> say it
0: was love. I just think that she's, like, one of these, like, super possessive people, you know. She's right. Like, 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 yeah, dominating yeah. everyone, you know, that
1: kind of thing. And uh, this is where she discovered, I guess, that Melanie has killed her husband. And we're not really sure what Melanie was planning at this point, because that's when Anika shows up. I don't know if Melanie was going to kill herself, but um, uses Anika's break-in as like, oh, I can swing it. as She killed my husband, and now I'm going to kill her. And then you see her complete delusion of like, fantasizing about being on a talk show and writing a book and being pregnant and having this new life. And you really see the depths of how, how far gone she really is. Fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I know it's a big pill to swallow this movie. Um, there's a lot of great things about it for, for almost every great thing. There's something that's, that's kind of silly that I kind of overlook. But overall, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed all the twists and and the and the turns, and the style, of which it was made. Um, I think Zach Parker is a obvious uh, competent director. I'm a little surprised he not I don't think he's done anything since this.
0: Yeah, I didn't see anything. I looked. I tried to look him up on uh, IMDb. I didn't see much, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um. I think for the most part, people nail their their um, their characters. The, uh, Hanika, uh, I mean, it's it's just a poorly written character. Not a lot of nuisance or anything like that. It's very, like, ham-fisted. and every scene she's in, she just needs to scowl and, you know, hate everyone else in the room. And uh, Joel Swanberg, very competent like, actor-director himself. You know, he pretty much is has just has has that crazy the entire like the grieving father who i i i don't know if he's supposed to be sympathetic but he is not he does not play the character that way
0: yeah i um i thought the movie was too long i thought it was like a lifetime film and uh and like about Three quarters of the way through, maybe because it was too long and poorly edited, I started looking at my watch and being like, all right, when the fuck are we going to wrap this up? You know what I mean? Because there was too many things that just didn't add up. There was a lot of, you know, like like things we talked about, like the fact that they were able to get into Esther's house. Like that would have been like a police, that would have been a crime scene basically, or maybe not a crime scene, but... The, the cops would have figured that there was evidence in there, and they wouldn't have allowed anyone in there. You know what I mean?
1: And right, yeah, yeah.
0: Like that—that that was some of the stuff that really was like, man. Like I, I'm, believe me, man. I I I, I want to believe, man. I, I watch fucking werewolf movies and vampire <laughs> films. You know what I mean? But you you need to have. There there has to be that initial jump of leap of faith. And then everything else has to make sense after that. So, I mean, for sure. me, yeah. there was, I had to make too many leaps of faith in this film. And, um, and, and it, after a while, I just started being like, all right, well. And that's when I was like, maybe this is all a dream. And if that was the case, I was going like, to be like, super bummed out because that's always a cop out
1: to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Because, you know, there were some
0: dream-like things in there, like the shit that didn't make any sense,
1: you know? Yeah, like, yeah, it definitely has that, like, dreamlike quality. You know, like, like, like the violence, like, the, the scene in the bathtub where, uh, you know, Patrick murders uh, Esther. Like, it's so over the top. It's almost dreamlike and, and ultra slow motion and, and, and all that.
0: Now, about the violence, like, I got to be honest. That, there was the two, the two big set pieces of violence was the, the, the gunshot, right? And the baby being ripped out of the womb. right yeah so it's like i gotta be completely honest with you the the gun violence that when she got shot i felt i'm not gonna say i was um offended by it but on a certain level the, the 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 whole like mechanism of that scene i found was like why the fuck are we doing this man is it like like uh, you know, the slow motion, like I, like on a technical level, I was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, but part of me was like, you know, what the fuck, man? You know, it's like it's one of those things where it just, it just seemed like um, just just self-indulgent in a weird way.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: And, and I found that more self-indulgent than the baby being ripped out of the womb because that actually made sense that you would show that.
1: Well, I see what you mean. The baby being ripped out of that. It wasn't like really stylized at all. It was just very matter of fact. Whereas, yeah, like you said, the shotgun the, the, the scene was so overstylized.
0: Yeah. And, and the baby part where the baby gets ripped out of the womb. It's like, you're like, oh, I guess the baby didn't make it. You know, I mean, it's it actually it actually <laughs> yeah. plays part of the, it's part of the narrative. You know, like that's OK. You're showing us that the, the pregnancy didn't. You know, the baby's dead. Right. So you see a dead baby. OK, great. Right. Move on. The, the murder or the whatever what you want to call it was like completely different style than that. It wasn't like, boom, she's <coughs> dead. It was like this protracted. Like and I appreciated that on a certain level, but I also was like, man, you're you know, this is like manipulation a little bit. I don't know. I just felt like I was like, man.
1: Exploitation a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was like, not so much exploitation, but a little too self indulgent
1: for me, I thought. Sure. Yeah, I would say exploitation would be the wrong way because, like, you know, there's nudity in this movie, but none of it feels sexy sexy or sexual. You know, it's like, you know, you you have that that shot of Esther looking at her body after the attack and she's just, you know, half nude, but it's not, you're not supposed to, like, be like, oh, yeah, well, it's. She's all scarred up
0: and everything. She's all, like,
1: yeah, exactly. And even when she's in the shower, like there's a very like uncomfortable, she's uncomfortable with her body. And, you know, so I don't think this movie was going for exploitation at all. I mean, some people might get that from that, but I I don't think that's what the uh, intention was. Um, Before we give a final flaming skulls, do you think a movie like this could be made today or would be made today?
0: I don't know, man. That's uh, maybe if a woman made it, it'd be cool. Yeah. You know, like like the fact that a guy made this movie probably wouldn't fly. They would call him a toxic male or
1: misogynist <laughs> or something like that. You know, he well, hates women. Well, you had, there's four characters in this movie, basically, and three of them are women, and they're all terrible. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you had the one male character who I guess is really the only victim, but he's terrible too? Um, well, not the only victim, but... Uh, because obviously Melanie is if her son dies too, but but from the re, uh, result of her actions. So I I, I don't I, I don't see something like this existing in this film today. No, because the the white
0: the white guy is not the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like like he's he's act he probably is the most victim esque character in the film right. because he's just like going about his day. You know, probably they they probably don't have the best relationship and uh it doesn't seem like it Yeah, but he's just like well you know what do you want from me i'm like making money and you guys you can live and she's going out you know maybe as a result of the unhappiness of their relationship she develops all these like weird you know phobias and stuff and has all these problems like emotional problems
1: yeah i'm sure if you like went further back into like I thought there would have been a scene of that, like, you know, going how unhappy she is with her marriage. That's why she's doing that. I would assume that's like a a big part of it. You're just never shown that it's hinted at, but it's not explicitly like told to you. It's not really hinted at. I think I think
0: that you and I are just reading into it. And that's one of the things I hate about films like this, where they're like, "Well, (laughs) well, well,
1: it is hinted at. Where? Because when it comes to bath time, he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm the fun. Like, I'm, I'm playing video games. Give me 15 minutes. Oh, or, will you do it?"
0: Okay, all right.
1: And then, like, when he goes to group, he's like, "I miss neglecting neglecting my family." Uh, well, like,
0: true, true. I stand corrected. And yeah, okay. But still, in all, yeah. that doesn't give her a green light to make up a completely alternative reality that she was living in.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, right. But it, but it, it 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 shows like okay, like you know unhappy bored uh you know like me you know this is and you're not maybe mentally well and this is what you this is what gets you know this is what gets you off because it it really isn't isn't
0: a very female empowering film honestly because it's like it really is about just crazy white women in the suburbs
1: (laughs) yeah it is and um you know, if this is made in 2013, if this was made right now in 2000, uh, what year is it? <laughs> 2021, man. Yep. All right. Uh, I, I don't think this movie looks the same. I think, you know, producers would be like, well, yeah, well, uh, we have to have the likable, you know, you know, like it would just,
0: well, the guy would be the villain straight up. He would be the, he would be the root of all the problems. Like they, he would probably be smacking her around or something like that, you know? That's how. Right. The, that's how it would be. It would be written today.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, like it could still be a good movie today. But like you know, they really like they really swung for the fences with this one back then. Yeah. And you know, like I said, this movie was pretty split when it came out. I remember that. Like I've seen it on a lot of top ten lists, like in one, two, three. Uh, I've also seen it. You know, reviews say it's the worst piece of shit people have ever <laughs> seen. Um. So that's why I wanted to, to talk about this with you, because I'm always curious what you think of this kind of movie. I'm honest. I thought you were going to love this. I really, really did. Yeah, I really did.
0: That's cool. I mean, you know, everything. We're all different, man. We all have different opinions about stuff. That's what makes that's what makes America great, Jeff, that we can all we all have different opinions. And, we <laughs> and can that's express why express ourselves a freely. red
1: hat that says make America great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes America great is that we can all speak our opinion without recourse. You know, it's that's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I love for. about this country, you know.
1: Right. Um, so, OK, <laughs> um, if you were to give this final grade, what are you what are you thinking? Sadly,
0: Jeff, I'm going to give it a two out of five.
1: Oh, wow. That's not too bad. OK,
0: what do you think? Oh, I was gonna, there's not much worse. I can go. Well, there's one,
1: there's none. Yeah, well, uh, I think
0: none is not really, like, I don't think I, we've anyone in the history of the podcast has given anything zero. I think the
1: worst I've given was one and a half, and that was Dead Girl. Dead, dead Girl, you didn't like that one. You gave that one. I really, really didn't low. like that. Yeah. I didn't like Empty Man, but I enjoyed the experience of watching it with Randy, and I enjoyed the experience of talking about it with you and and randy live in person yeah. so for that i gotta give it a two so i was like that yeah, was fun you know yeah, i, I didn't give movie. it i
0: i didn't really like that one either I, I was bummed out because it really i thought it had a lot of potential as a movie as a story too you know it's interesting
1: the cult that's grown around that movie um I, i'm i'm gonna go double what you gave it i'm oh. giving this a four um i loved it I, I mean, I had a great time watching it. I love the style of, it. I have obviously a lot of complaints about it. It's got a lot of ridiculous qualities to it, but I don't know, man. Like, I feel like it's like me as a, you know, 13 year old watching films from like the seventies and kind of like laughing about how kind of silly they can be. Yeah. You know, um, that's sort of what this reminded me of. It's, uh, I, you know, it's, I was curious to see where this filmmaker was going, but like, I, uh, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It's been a while since he's done anything. Uh, I hope he does uh, a, another film. He's obviously has a good grasp on w- what makes uh, a good scene. He has a good grasp on visuals. Like, I, you know, I, I'd love to see something more from him. Um, Maybe he uh, he started directing
0: porno as like a under <laughs> a different name, though. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: You yeah, know, how, like yeah. a lot of
0: like legit filmmakers, will have like a, a, a different name that they direct porn films with.
1: Is is that still a thing?
0: Nah, dude, I doubt it, man. Like, that I imagine budgeted porno films are a thing of the past.
1: Yeah, because I, I, I know Wes Craven used to direct porn on the side. Yeah. Um, that'd be kind of interesting. Is David Cronenberg like directed porn or something? <laughs> 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 I would watch it. I am not sure it'd be enjoyable, but I'd watch it. Body porn. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, hopefully he you know he he pops up again. You know, obviously Joel Joe Swanberg, he pops up in everything, you know, yeah. he was uh, an actor in your next and he directed this uh great uh, uh show on Netflix called Easy. Uh oh, yeah, he directed a yeah, yeah. a great movie uh about like uh called uh drinking buddies. Which is a relationship drama about people who work in breweries, which, I mean, that sounds like something you'd have to stick a fucking gun in my head to watch, but it was actually really enjoyable. Um, I dig him as a filmmaker and an actor, uh, but he's kind of the only one from this that you really, like, did you, I didn't really recognize anyone no, else. I didn't see it. I didn't, no one, no one came, seemed familiar to me. Yeah, I looked at, uh, a lot of them, gone on to do a lot of, like, TV work, but I don't, I don't there's so much fucking TV now, man. Like like, there's a hundred shows. People are telling me to watch and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. It's too much. Yeah, I
0: agree, man. That's, but that's like, you know, that's, that's what, that's the world we live in, man.
1: You know, it is, it is uh, um,
0: exciting shit for later tonight, man, for me is, uh, Oh yeah. Are you a Neil Blomkamp fan, fan? No. You don't like him, or you don't know his films?
1: Uh, okay. Uh, I saw <laughs> yeah. District 9 in the theater right when it came out. I got to say, I was a little underwhelmed. I thought, on a technical level, the movie looked great, and I, I did just didn't engage with it like everyone else did. To me, it ended up feeling like a video game. Okay. Uh, I thought Elysium was bad. Is that what it was called? Elysium,
0: Elysium yeah.
1: Elysium and I thought Chappie is a contender for top 10 worst movies I've ever seen Okay,
0: I didn't I did not see mm -hmm. Chappie but uh, but I like the other two films but more than those films what really impresses me about him is The shorts that he's done on his oak studios site.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I did like those.
0: Yeah, those I think eclipse any of his films really
1: Um, yeah, I would agree uh, so I was kind of uh, looking forward to demonic, and then I looked at the Rotten Tomato score, and while that doesn't necessarily like mean like I'm not gonna like it, but when the reviews are that bad, it's 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 not a good sign. Well,
0: initially I was planning to see it in the movie theater, but it's mm-hmm. um, the th- I was all set to go to later tonight. The theater is like a little bit it's like 45 minutes away from here though. Driving. It's like up in North. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw that it's on iTunes. So I just rented it for the evening.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realize, uh, I think the green Knight is also coming to iTunes. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, it's, I think it's there already. Not interested in that one. Um, I saw it in the theater. Oh, wait, did we talk? No, No, we didn't talk
0: about this. I forgot. Yeah. I should have mentioned that as a movie, but yeah, I saw it in the theater. Um, I didn't love it. I thought that there's uh you know some cool stuff in there. Mm. And uh but it wasn't wasn't really uh I thought it was pretty good. It didn't really follow the the legend of Gawain really. Oh okay. Too well. So that was my thing, like the King Art, the Arthurian uh, legend.
1: You're the second person I talked to that saw it and was very eh, about it. Yeah. Uh but uh the critics are loving it. I like that director quite a bit
0: yeah I like the director i like the cast you know i like that that guy dev Patel that played
1: uh Gawain. I thought that was cool um but you know what's he from again he was in, in <sighs> he was, he was in some, he's so familiar it, familiar like yeah. i know I was like oh that guy yeah um he was in some stuff that I've seen. I thought it was pretty cool um um yeah cool yeah so um yeah you know i will i'll I'll watch. No, I'll watch that movie, Neil Blomkayn movie. Uh, eventually, it's just uh he, he came out. He kind of came out as like you know swinging, like this is the next big thing. And I feel like Hollywood's very close to like writing him off at this point, Uh which is I think after Chappie was what happened. Like Hollywood kind of wrote him off. He's like I'm just gonna do these shorts, and and I thought the shorts were really cool, really imaginative, really showed off his skill as a technician. Um. So I was hoping this full length was was gonna be like a home run, it's sort of like M Night Shyamalan where he came out and like everything he did was fucking great, and then, and then just everything he did was terrible, and uh, he's you know slowly making a comeback, and it's good to see because like when he hits, he hits, you know his movies are great. That new one looks like garbage though. I gotta be honest. I don't know anyone. Again, I don't know. I don't know anyone who's gone to see that. So yeah, it's it, not a good sign.
0: It seems like a waste of. Of, of time to see that uh, film it just looks so totally uninteresting to me
1: yeah Glass was unwatchable it was terrible but uh, the one before that was good oh yeah and, uh, yeah with the uh,
0: I forgot the name of that movie but that was, I enjoyed that one
1: yeah it was good the one about the kids on the vacation with the the grandparents that one was pretty good uh, and then it was nothing but shit for a while before that but yeah, yeah we'll see I mean I never count anyone out you know
0: I didn't tell you this, but I saw Hall & Oates a couple of weeks ago.
1: <laughs> oh, you did? Speaking of horror, no, I love Hall & dude. Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> yeah, we went well, as like a band field what trip. What
1: the fuck was that like?
0: <laughs> it was outside. It was at the PNC Arts Center in Jersey.
1: So did any of you go home with like a 58-year-old no. lady or anything like that? or like?
0: No, no. Actually, I was surprised at how many young people were there.
1: That's great. You know, like... Uh... Daryl Hall's made some like weird records, like he he made records with uh uh, uh Robert Fripp from King Crimson <laughs> and shit like that. Like oh wow, he's a le- he's a legit musician, you know. <laughs> he's not some like pop star. Well, that was the
0: one takeaway from the uh, the show was that the uh, there was like like eight guys up on stage, you know. Yeah, and it was like a very uh, musician friendly sort of uh, performance, like the. Even though the hits were performed more like this kind of like, you know, extended solos and right. shit like that, it was cool. You know, I enjoyed it. A,
1: a guy I know was on. Uh, he used to have a show. called Daryl Hall and like he would just like jam in his like you know like cabin with a bunch of other musicians. And uh, Jake, the singer for that band, minus the Bear, was on that show, and they did a minus the Bear song. Oh wow! I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. This actually sounds like a Hall and Oates song. The, the, um, I don't really know
0: it's the bear I know that You know They're like Cool but, Like dudes Or something You know
1: They're great guys You know Seattle guys You know We've known them all For quite a long time <laughs> Seattle yeah. <laughs> yeah, That was one of my only moments Of like professional jealousy I'm like That dude's jamming With fucking Daryl Hall right now like, I'd love to fucking do that <laughs> You know Good for him Good for him <laughs> uh, The show Who opened that show Oh dude
0: um squeeze was the uh Ooh. squeeze you know pulling muscles from the shell i i probably would know it if i heard it yeah you know it's like there's yeah. some one hit band from the 80s or late 70s actually and then there was uh you know some other like rock like soft rock band that went on first but we i didn't see either one of them we were we were actually tailgating like out in the parking lot you are fucking, like, pounding
1: PBRs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Crushing them against your forehead. Yep. <laughs> Doing,
0: we had a keg of Pabst Blue Ribbon.
1: <laughs>
0: and, uh, you know, some Popeye's chicken. That's how we were partying out in the parking lot.
1: Dude, th- those big shows like that are so funny. Because I remember when we, when we toured with Tool, anytime there was, like, a big outdoor amphitheater and there was a lawn, if you went out in the lawn, like, you would find... A, a, a dude passed out before Tool went on. You would find a guy fingering and making out with his girlfriend. Oh, Jesus. Really? Yeah. And you would, and there would be a fire somewhere every single fucking time. It, it's always lunacy. Well, <laughs> and the PNC
0: Arts Center is exactly one of those places where there's like an amphitheater and then there's like a lawn, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and just like parking lots and shit. So, like, we were like out in the parking lot with like a, we had a little grill and, you know, hanging out. It was fun. I mean I I I mean, you know, it's better than sitting home by yourself. That's all I can say, you know, and I was I had a lot of fun.
1: No, no, it's great. I love Hollow notes. It's not even a guilty pleasure. I, I fucking think they're great.
0: Yeah. That no, was cool. Uh,
1: I, I thought so since I was a little. My mom was a big fan. Um Yeah. And uh I'm sure like Hallmark notes would uh would love the movie Proxy too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they watched it on their tour bus.
0: <laughs> Probably several times, man. You know?
1: Yeah, you know, Hall's kind of into it, but Oates is like, you know, I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> um, Daryl Hall's got like a beard and like long hair, like grey, you know, it looks like Gandalf sort of. And Yeah, um, you know
1: yeah. Anytime I see a guy with that head of hair at that age, I'm like, Yeah, that's that's fake. <laughs> and and
0: Daryl Hall, the other guy, John Oates. Yeah no mustache, but his hair is fucking Jet black, man. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Steven Seagal. <laughs> no mustache and jet black
1: hair. <laughs> You're fooling everyone, dude. Everyone. <laughs> oh man, that's cool though. You got to go to a show and uh, enjoy yourself. You know, that's seems to be. be becoming a rarity this year it seems a lot of that's going away no man
0: there's a lot well out here there's all sorts of shit going on like there's uh the the decibel beer festival in september um are you going to that yeah i'm going to the, I'm, I'm only going to the day that napalm death is playing the second day is like all the shot bands like converge are playing oh but <laughs> uh which dead guy
1: <laughs> dead Guys playing one of those days right they're playing the good day okay yeah i'm curious about that i'm very curious about that
0: Dude, I'm going to guarantee you that it's going to be on point because the when Rorschach reformed, it was on point.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure it is.
0: Keith Hawkins is not going to let that
1: not be great. I agree. I agree. And Tim Singer is still fronting bands. He's still got it. He's still got his voice. Yeah, oh, totally, man. And, uh, uh, so as long as those two guys are on point, <laughs> you know, I think the show. Will- We'll, we'll be good. Yeah, the drummer, that.
0: the drummer in Dead Guy was always kind of like the weak link.
1: I felt. I thought they kind of had a weak rhythm section. I always felt like that bass player really didn't. I don't want to talk shit. But, um, uh, I you know it just it was all about the guitars yeah. you know and, and the vocals in that band you know. Yep, totally. for sure. So when they got a new rhythm section as Kiss Goodbye, it was just so so much better. Yeah.
0: Well, when you move out of california you'll see that the rest of the country is is actually taking precautions but
1: returning to actual uh livable lives you know well it's the place i end up living to uh, or moving to it's like the opposite extreme they're like you don't gotta do shit
0: yeah they're also <laughs> burning in an inferno of disease.
1: <laughs> well mike you know that's what i like to do <laughs>
0: yeah but the um yeah, I mean, we're, you know, Toomes is playing a couple of shows in November in, uh, in New York. And um, you have to show proof of vaccination for entrance into anything in New York City now.
1: Oh, so I guess Wynow won't be playing that show. No.
0: He's an anti-vaxxer?
1: Uh, no, I just saw this long thing. Yeah, he posted on Facebook about he's not playing Cycle Vegas because you have to wear a mask and blah, blah, blah. And just... You know, I don't know. I'm like, I've always thought he was a nice dude. You know, we just obviously have a very different different opinion about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I, we'll I, see. I'll uh, I'll reserve like my final thoughts on all this stuff for another year, probably. See how things. Yeah. The next year, we'll see. We'll look back on 2021 and see how 2021 <laughs> actually
1: was. We'll see, man. Uh, good to talk to you. Look forward to doing this next one you recommended. Uh, hopefully, we both like it. I'm sorry you didn't. You weren't that into Proxy. I thought for sure this would be <laughs> you a you Mike didn't, Hill movie.
0: You didn't make the film, man, so it's cool.
1: <laughs> but in a way, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, I might be in Austin in, in the next couple weeks, so we might have to do this one from uh, from Texas. Hell yeah! All right. All my exes live in
0: Texas. That's why I
1: live in Tennessee, man. That's right, man. They all end up there, dude.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.
1: Like and subscribe. Take care, everyone.